Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you again and thank you for tuning in with us. Today we have a panel of five people here and plus myself. I would like to welcome them all. I will start with um, Lija from here. Lija, welcome to this program. Yeah, thank you for being here. And Brandon? Very happy to be here again. Ken on the other side, welcome Ken back. Thank you, Nick. Pleasure to be here. And Rowan? Yes, thank you. Good to be here. Len, it's our facilitator today again, and I would like to just hand it right to you. Okay, thank you, Nick. And uh, hello, listeners. We are now doing the third study on the subject of that Christ's people are to be unified. The Bible describes God's people on earth, referring to the church, as Christ's bride. And it's for the church that Christ gave his life. And so Christ's activities and tender affection is for the people who respond to him. But, of course, the enemy, Satan, who's in opposition to Christ, wants to upset Christ's work. He wants to destroy the church, plus do all in his power to prevent people from learning about salvation. In the previous two Bible studies on oneness in Christ, we've considered some of Satan's dastardly attempts in disrupting the unity of the Israelite nation and in the New Testament Corinthian church. But Satan is a defeated foe. He knows he has but a short time left before he'll be completely destroyed. God is much more powerful than Satan, and God loves his people and promises to protect those who are faithful to him. This week, we'll consider the prayer of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, which Jesus prayed just prior to his crucifixion, a prayer of concern that his people will be unified. So before we actually enter this study, Ken, would you like to just pray? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we are so thrilled to be here today to put out your word to all our listeners. We understand that many of them are having difficult times, many of them are feeling hurt, many of them are unwell, many of them are unsure of what the future holds. We know, Heavenly Father, that you have power and you have abilities that none of us can understand to bring people to a greater understanding of what life is all about and what the, uh, the world is coming to. And we just pray, Heavenly Father, that the people listening would open their hearts and look into the Word of God and see the many, many blessings that Jesus is just waiting to give them. We ask this, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Ken. Now, we're talking about unity of God's people, and Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12 tells how God's people will be identified, what sort of unity there will be. Ken, what does it say there, and what's the answer to the question? Okay, well, in uh, Revelation 14 and 12, we read, I'm reading from the uh, King James Version, here is the patience of the saints, in other words, the people who believe in God, that they keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, sometimes that, that gets a bit confusing. Sometimes people are not sure what that means, but there's many people in the world who uh, know of Jesus, 
perhaps even attend church, but it makes it very clear here that we're meant to keep the commandments of God. For example, uh, keeping the Sabbath day, as described in uh, Genesis, that uh, that's from Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. It may seem some people sometimes will think, well, look, that's not a big deal we can keep any day, but I think God is very uh, keen that we keep his commandments the way he's written them and not the way we think they should be kept well what it is god's people will be unified on these two aspects they are obedient people and they also accept the sacrifice that was made for them by jesus christ rowan would you read john chapter 17 verses 1 to 5 what does it mean to glorify Okay, um, I'll read um, in your hearing, John chapter 17, verse 1 to, to 5. It says, These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given me power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And... This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth, and I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now, that, that is a very interesting passage uh, in the sense that Jesus is talking about uh, God glorifying him and him uh, glorifying God. Now, the, I guess the, the normal understanding of, of glory um, in, in this world is related to power. So when, when you bring about, uh, let's say, the powers on earth and to say, say to them, ask them, show us your glory, they'll probably show you their great armies and, and their money and, and things like that. But in this case, Jesus showed the glory of God by his service to mankind, in that he came completely with the, same, the singular purpose to save mankind, and which shows that God's glory is in the service of men. It is interesting to me that God does not choose to show his glory through his power that he has to compel or, or if it were to, to punish or to force. But he shows his power, not through, not, he shows his glory, not through his power, but through his service to men, through his love for everyone. And that love is the full manifestation of the glory of God. Yeah, thank you. Brenton, in verse 1, if you'd like to read that, just to reiterate, how did Jesus glorify the Father? Let me read the text uh, first, as you say, Len, and uh, then let's uh, have a look at it a little more closely. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and it said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. Now, it's significant, I believe, that um, Jesus makes this statement, because if we were to go back in our Bibles to John chapter 12 and have a look at that, you will find an instance recorded there where two Greeks come to meet with Philip, one of Christ's disciples, and their question is, we would see Jesus. And when Philip goes to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel and Philip bring both of these men to Jesus, Jesus says, in essence, the hour has come that the Son of Man might be glorified. In other words, uh, what we are saying here is that, uh, as Rowan has said earlier on, it, um, the world thinks in terms of prestige and other things. Jesus is saying here, when I am lifted up, 
He says this in John 12, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. It's his saving sacrifice on Calvary that draws all men to himself. Now, while you're hot on this subject, Brenton, <laughs> would you like to read verse 5 of chapter mm, 17? Certainly. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, what does that say about the pre-existence of Christ? Well, the term before the world was suggests that he was in existence before that. But then if we were going to go over to uh, the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 1 and verse 15 and 16, uh, may I read those verses, Lee? Of course. 1 verse 15 and 16, it says this, He is the image of the invisible God, that's talking about Jesus Christ, the firstborn over all creation. Now, I'll stop there for a minute because this is an area where many people get tripped up on. It's not talking about firstborn in terms of biological sense. It's talking about firstborn in terms of unique, a unique person, unique in privileges. And Paul tells us that when Christ rose from the dead with a glorified body, he said, we will have the same body as what he had. I think the Greek word lend for it is something along the lines of a term that you and I and everyone else here is familiar with. It's the term prototype, prototipo is, a, is a, an Italian term. It means one of a kind. So Christ is unique insofar as he was pre-existent but he, he was also able to die on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead. And as a result of that, all of the things that we now have are a result of that uniqueness. People, of course, have the idea that the first appearance of Jesus was as a babe at Bethlehem. But You're the right. Bible does not say that. And Jesus here himself <coughs> talks about the glory he had with the Father before the world began. Yes. Well, there are some other texts to support <coughs> that, but we won't deal with that now. Ken, would you mind reading verse 3? I know Rowan read all these texts before, but we, we're just highlighting certain issues. Just read John seventeen three, And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, I've got two questions for you. What does it mean to know God? And what does it mean to know about God? Well, they're awfully, hugely worlds apart those two things is many people obviously have heard of God and heard of Jesus but they don't know him and the only way to know him is to get into the word which is the Bible and read about Jesus and have a connection with Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit and be connected with Jesus on a spiritual plane yes now I know you're a married man a happily married man do you know your wife or do you only know about her well, I, I like to think, actually, I know her quite well, and uh, I'm, I'm very, very blessed to have this lady, and we have a wonderful relationship. And, you know, some months back I was given a service one of the churches, and I, was, I mentioned the fact that we're, the service went on having a connection with God. And I said to the people that if you only spoke to your wife at the, at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, how well would you know them? And the same thing applies with Jesus. If you only speak to him in the morning or the evening, I don't think you know him too well. You have to have an ongoing relationship mm. and open communication with him on a regular basis. Agreed. Yes, yes, that's important. I think that's a good example. Lydia, you've got something to say. Yes. First and foremost, Jesus tells us 
that eternal life consists in our personal knowledge of God. This is not salvation by works or by knowledge, but rather it is the experience of knowing the Lord because of what Jesus has done for us at the cross. This knowledge is mediated through a personal relationship with the Father. Our human tendency is to limit knowledge to facts and details, but here Jesus aims at something deeper and more fulfilling, which is a personal relationship with God. Jesus' first advent also was for the purpose of guiding humanity in its search for a more meaningful and saving knowledge of God and the unity with each other that such knowledge will lead to. All right. Thank you very much. Len, could I just make a very quick comment before you move on? Of course. I think in John, and I'm trying to think of the chapter I can't come to mind, but some of the other panel members may be able to help me. Jesus once said when he was challenged on the fact that he was his own witness, he said, I only do what the Father does. He said that whatever the Father does, I do. I think this re business of knowing God, as Ken has quite rightly said, depends on knowing God so well that it's not a case of sec second guessing what God will do, but it's a case of committing yourself to God so that during the day, whatever you do, you have placed yourself in God's hands and he can guide you in the direction that he wants you to go. And you are then, in fact, doing his will day yeah. by day. Yes, well said. Yes, right. <coughs> Just to add to that, I think the, the knowledge of God, for it to go beyond you know, the, the intellectual knowledge, it is to go into having an experience with God. That is to say, not just knowing what God does, but knowing that God has done things mm. in you. Yeah. and for yes. you yes. and you've experienced uh, God's mm. power working yes. through you uh, to do I mean the various things that God would want you to do and that makes the God of the, the knowledge of God settle in you know uh, in you very specifically so much that you cannot be moved and you cannot doubt what is what is happening so so Jesus himself had experienced um, had that experience in, in his in, from his uh, um, position as a man, he had that experience of God working through him to do the various miracles that he did and to be able to to live the righteous life that he had lived. And for us to also, we are called to be able to, to lead a life that of obedience through the power that's beyond, you know, what, what men can do to, to save God. Hmm. Yes, well said. I heard the other day of a very godly lady who, when she prayed, these were her words, my dear Father in heaven. Mm, that wonderful. indicates knowing God rather than knowing about him. Mm -hmm. Well, those of you who read John 17 may be aware that the prayer of Jesus is in three parts. In verses 1 to 5, which we've just dealt with, he prays for himself. And in verses 9 to 19 is where he prays for his disciples. Now, of special interest is verse 6. Rowan, what did Jesus say? Yes, in verse 6 he says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which you gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now, this um, suggests direct reference to, to the <coughs> disciples. 
that um, and, and the followers of Christ who, who had followed him. And Jesus had revealed God to them in so much that they settled in following Christ throughout the days that he was on this earth. And by following him, I think it was Peter who, who at one time uh, was asked and he said that, who can we follow? Because it is only you who has got the words of eternal life. Mm. Yes. So, so they had known the eternal life which comes through Jesus, and they had they'd understood that. And by understanding that in Jesus only is life, God had been revealed to them. They had come to that knowledge that only through God yes. can we pass beyond uh, the struggles of this life, beyond the limitations of flesh, beyond all the problems that are on this earth. They have re- they had finally realized that the God, the only God who can help us beyond that point is revealed in Christ. Yes, I just want to bring another aspect of what was just related a bit earlier. When the word says that uh, you, God, gave them to me, you know, the disciples. Because some people may think, you know, you see, that's a predestination. I mean, God wants some, certain people just to, to follow him. And, uh, you know, you can't do if you're not uh, predestined by God, then you are uh, out, you know, you are lost. I want to just say something about this. Because Jesus, in his ministry, depended on God, 100%. He was doing the will of God, which means if he was in a relationship with God, then God gave him those people who have a heart to follow him also. And just to apply that to us, we are also <coughs> called to be the to witness for God in the day we live. To bring as many people to know God more. But if we don't have a relationship with God, we wouldn't have those people given to us. Even though if we'll work hard to get those people, we'll be not successful if God wouldn't give those people to us because we have a relationship with Him. As uh, I mentioned before, the second part of Jesus' prayer from verse 9 to verse 19 of John chapter 17 is about the disciples. He was praying for the disciples. Yes. Uh, Brenton, in chapter 17, verses 11 and 12, Jesus asked the Father for something specific for the disciples. Would you read those texts and then answer that? Yes. Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Now, it's significant that the term Holy Father is only used once in the New Testament and that's used in this particular point. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Um, this this term keep, Len, I think is particularly interesting. Um, to me, it means more than just preserve. I think it it means to um, to continue to foster, to continue to to develop. I see something really really interesting in here that's just hit me. He uses the term keep through your name. Now. We all know that in the Bible, when we refer to God's name or when we refer to a person's name, it often has reference to their character. So in order to keep these disciples, Christ is saying, Father, when I go back to heaven, I want them to have my character reflected to those around about me. Yes, I think Jesus was also um, asking for protection 
because he knew what they would face up to. Lydia, as far as remaining in the Lord and being protected in the Lord, how can we apply that idea to now? We are living now in the world. So we are the children of God. How do we know that we are the children of God? Because we have a relationship with God. We abide in Christ, in Christ in us. It's exactly like the parable of the vine. The vine has to abide in its root. So from the root, you receive all life, all the nutrients, all the vitamins and everything, all the food that uh, keeps you alive. So be in the world, but not of the world. So my first priority in life is Jesus. This it means must abide in Christ and in, in God's world. Having an ongoing relationship with God, to have a commitment with God and have a consecration to Him. Be in the world, but not of the world. It means that by abiding in Christ, I am changed and I live in the world, but whatever is happening in the world doesn't affect me, doesn't touch me. So it means if I abide and I connected with Christ, a transformation occurs of myself and I become like Christ. And so you spend time in the Word of God. Yeah. You pray and you share what you know with other people. Yes. Leon, so if I could just add a little bit to that. I think sometimes people believe that if you become a Christian or get involved with God, it's really just a one-sided thing. That, uh, you know, it's one, one day you're in the world, then the next day you become a Christian, you go to church and that's it. But there's an awful lot more to this because actually God gets involved with your life and directs your life and helps you in so many things. So it's actually a two-way street. So we get a lot more than what we think we we may get. All right, there in verse um, 12, it mentions, or Jesus mentioned, he says, none has been lost. Here he's praying for the disciples. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction. Ken, who is he talking about? Well, he was talking about uh, Judas, and uh, of course he was one of the disciples originally and was with Jesus all that time, but unfortunately his heart wasn't correct, and uh, he was more worldly, and I think he was interested in having more money and power and whatnot, and unfortunately he sort of uh, fell away, even though he was still with them, but his heart wasn't right with the Lord. It's interesting, the terminology that Jesus used, He said he was doomed to destruction. You mentioned a couple of things. Maybe there's a connection that we can make here that somebody who is interested in money and worldly power and so on, this might be an unfair question, I'm not sure, but people who pursue worldly power and plenty of money, would you say that maybe they are doomed to destruction? Anybody? Well, I I think sometimes this I believe is misunderstood there's nothing wrong with money or having money but it's what you do with it and uh, I believe once you become a Christian then your sights and your heart should be set on the Lord 
and doing things that can help other people because when we look at the very basics of Christianity Jesus came not to rule people but to serve people and as Christians it is our duty and our calling to serve other people in whatever capacity we can whether we be rich or poor it's not only money Len we can talk about many other things that can distract us from sure. God from yeah. the Lord so there could be quite few other things that leads the person to the highway of destruction straight away it's not that you are predestined to but it's your lead that leads you on the highway of destruction yeah yeah i agree brenton would you read john chapter 17 verses 14 to 17 mm, certainly i have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as i am not of the world I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, what did Jesus specifically request <coughs> protection from? Um, I don't know if it says it in your version, but um, it certainly says it in the New International Version, which I have here. Right. It says, Len, that um, he specifically prays that his disciples will be kept from the evil one. Who's that? Satan. Yeah. Now, I would like to, uh, with your permission, take it a, a step further. Ephesians chapter 6, I believe, gives us the answer as to how we can be kept from the evil one. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So we must realise that everybody, Christians and non-Christians alike, are being attacked. I don't know if attacked is a good word, but we'll use it anyhow. I think that's a fair comment. Uh, being attacked knows he's doomed, but I see it a bit like this. It's a bit like a chess game. Anybody who plays chess... If you can see your opponent is winning, what do you do? Do you give up or do you keep fighting on and try to get as many of his chessmen as possible? Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's what I do anyhow. Not that I'm a very good chess player. <laughs> but I think this yeah. is what Satan's <clears throat> tactic is. All right, he knows he is doomed. Mm -hmm. He was defeated at Calvary. So he's trying to take everyone down he can. And that, I think, was Jesus was referring to in his prayer. Can I just uh, intervene a bit there? Uh, when we're talking about uh, Satan, evil one, uh, and the prayer to keep them safe, you know, from the evil one, uh, what that really means? Because uh, we probably we may think, oh, okay, if the evil one is affecting, you know, the, the disciples of Jesus, then we'll see that they will be possessed. They will be under the satanic influence. may not be so. Because I think what Jesus referred to something which he could see in the disciples even before. For example, what's Satan's most um, recognized influence in people? We think Are you saying his most effective tool or yes. most effective weapon? Yes. Uh, I would say one would be uh, distractions. But, you know, even him from the beginning, jealousy for example. Oh, right. mm -hmm. Jealousy. God, uh, Satan was jealous, you know, and he wants to be like God. And the disciples, they were jealous among mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is kind of praying, you know, 
Father, protect them for all those things, you know, to to be distracted towards, you know, their own <coughs> business, mm. but to focus on the mission, on the thing which uh, you gave me to do, and I send them to do through the Great Commission, you know, which we... In other know words, in he's focused on exactly what the Father sent him to do. Yeah. I'd like to suggest that selfishness, is what you were just talking about, is perhaps uh, an evidence yes. of Satan working in a person's life. And Lydia was talking about in the world and of the world before, and I'm suggesting that as Christians, we are not of the world, in other words, under the influence of Satan, but under the influence and control yes. of the Lord. Rowan, in verse 17, it mentions the word sanctify. Would you read that and then just try to explain what does sanctify mean? Sure. Um, it says here that, um, in verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Um, it is interesting to me that the word sanctify, as we understand it, it means to set aside for a holy purpose. Yes. Um, and when I look at that, I consider, for example, when uh, when Aaron was defied as the high priest, the, the sanctity which he carried was not his own attribute. It was something that, that was given to him. But it was not just given to him so that he possesses sanctity, but it was given to him because there was a purpose for it. So the sanctity was only as important as the purpose uh, of that sanctity mm. was fulfilled. Therefore, for us, um, uh, if, if we are sanctified by the truth, we are sanctified for something. And what is that? I believe the most important thing that was sanctified for is for service, that we serve God yes. and we serve yes. men. In fact, um, just out of interest, um, yesterday we were just discussing with other brethren, and, and, and many were, dis were, were talking about... Um, uh, how, how sometimes we struggle, you know, in our Christian life. And, and in our discussion, we ended up saying that to a large extent, the reason why we struggle in our Christian life is because we are not in service. The more we go into service, the more we overcome the difficulties that happen, you know, in our in our day to day life as we try to live a godly life because we are meant to be in service. So, so when I understand the whole uh, prayer that Jesus Christ is giving, it is basically saying that these disciples and those who are coming after them, which are us, are meant to be in, in service. service. Yes. In fact, when you're in service, you don't have time to do all this inward looking and, and so on. Naval gazing. Now, in that text that Rowan read, Ledger, it says, sanctify them. And what was said that would sanctify the disciples? Okay, in John chapter 17, verse 17, it says, as it was read before, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So, um, the words of Jesus is the word, the written word of God in the Bible. As we have seen before, Jesus was praying for his disciples and for those who left it behind, who are left it behind because they remained in the world and the world is the place where the disciples will do their service and Jesus was praying that they will be preserved from the evil in the world now the truth the word is the one who sanctifies them so the word is the the one who sanctifies me and sanctifies you we cannot work for the Lord 
unless we are sanctified by his word and being in connection with the word abide in the word of God mm. Ron, mm. how important is Bible study in the <coughs> life of a Christian? Oh, very, very important um, in Matthew chapter 4 I think verse 4 it says it is written that man uh, does not live by, you know Pray alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of the Lord. So I, I consider the Bible study as that fuel that fuels your relationship with God on a day-to-day -day basis. Just as much as one needs to eat on a daily basis uh, for the sustenance of, of, the, of the body, so do they need to continually, um, you know, study the Word of God. Because every time you study the Word of God, you get new insights, some of mm -hmm. which you did not really see last time. Yes. And not just that, if you study today and you don't study for the next 20 years, most likely that which you study today by the end of 20 years, you don't even remember. Yeah. But you need to continually remind yourself because we have that limitation of memory. So you need to continually remind yourself even those things that you've studied before so that they continue to be active in your life. Mm -hmm. I, I think also I'd just like to add to that, a simple way to put that is that if you study the Bible, it's actually food for the spirit. Yes. Yeah. It feeds our spiritual uh, soul. And the other thing is, sorry Nick, sorry. the other thing is, it's to me it's like digging for gold. You might find a little bit, but you keep, you keep on and you find more and more and more and the, the, the meanings become clearer and there's much more depth of understanding. Yes Nick? I just want to say about this uh, phrase, sanctify them by the word. Because why it's so important? A lot of people, a lot of Christians who pretend they are following God, they following the tradition of man, which is in the Christianity, and is not the word of God. Mm. And sometimes yes. people are reading the word of God as they like it, rather than as God uh, it's intending that word to be applied out of context, and so on and so on. That's why I believe somebody said here, sanctify them, which means set them apart, make them be a light in this world mm -hmm. through the message of your word yes. in the fullness of the, the truth which you want to reveal to them. Because unfortunately, <coughs> we live in a period of time when everyone has an interpretation of the word of God on his own mind. Right, Ken, did you want to say something here? Well, yes. Basically, just that's very true what Nicky said. The world today, most people uh, have their own ideas. Uh, many Christians don't even read the Bible. They just uh, perhaps listen to the people out the front speaking, but they don't check into the Word themselves to see what it actually is, what actually God says and what His Son says, and how we should be not only living as Christians, but uh, uh, more importantly, uh, sharing our testimony with Christians and sharing to help other people as best we can. Mm. Brenton, would you read verse 19 of chapter 17? Mm. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Now, how does this work? It's <laughs> a good question, uh, Len. <laughs> um, I think I'll go back to verse 18. As you sent them into the world... I have also sent them into the world. Now, we know that prior to Christ making these comments, his disciples had been out on at least two occasions on missionary journeys throughout uh, not only um, Israel, but also uh, through Samaria to some degree. 
And now he's praying uh, that this sanctifying and setting yourself apart is is of real interest to us as Christians and as um, listeners to our, our radio program because really what it's saying is Christ is saying, I am setting myself apart to fulfil the purpose for which I came. Christ's role in coming to this earth was twofold. He was to be both the sacrifice but also, as it were, I'll use the term priest, but he was to administer the benefits of his sacrifice. Um, no, when throughout ancient Israel, they used to bring a lamb. They used to kill the lamb. They used to deal with it by putting the blood, sprinkling the blood on and that sort of thing. Jesus is saying here, I am both the sacrifice or the victim and the person who is going to administer that sacrifice, not only in heaven, but to all those who will hear, as we'll come to a bit later, all those who will hear the message of Christ's sacrifice throughout the world. My dual role is to both be the victim, but also the one who uh, mediates the benefits of that sacrifice. Ah, I think in the uh, one would say, Jesus is saying, I lay, my, lay mm. down my life that my disciples may also have eternal life. Yeah, thank you. Yes. All right. Now, Ledger, the third part of Jesus prayed for himself. He prayed for his disciples. If you read John 17, verses 20 to 22, he's talking about another group of people for whom he had concern. Yes, also Jesus prays for all other believers. And in uh, John chapter 17, verse 20 to 22, we read, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Okay, so you've identified who he was praying for, those who had come after. What was he actually requesting in this prayer? He was requesting that to be unity among Christians. Jesus is referring here that we as a church must be united to fulfill our mission and to share the, uh, the three angels' messages to the world. We know that uh, in the Bible, Jesus refers that God has faithful people also in other churches besides our church. I can read, um, there is a verse in John chapter 10, verse 9, which says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Mm. Also in Revelation 18 4, the Bible makes it clear that God has his faithful ones even in Babylon, out there. Mm. And in Revelation 18 uh, verse 4 says, uh, come out of her, my people. Let you share not in her sins unless you receive of her plugs. All right, so Jesus asked that his followers in the future, and that includes us, and it might include you too, listeners, 
depends if you've committed your heart to the Lord at this stage, uh, he prayed that we would be one. And then he gave an example. He says, just as I and the Father are in each other. What What's that mean, Rowan? Okay, yeah. So when it comes to the issue of Jesus and the Father being in each other, to me it means that uh, Jesus and Father are together in terms of, of character and in terms of purpose. And, and with specific reference to the purpose, um, what that means then is that none of them is pushing his own agenda or trying to do um, his own thing in competition to the other. But they are coming together in agreement uh, of what, what they want to achieve. And beyond that, in applying that to the world that we live in today, uh, we see that for there to be cooperation, there's need for us to, to, to be able to agree on what we want to do and without the spirit of competition among us. And that spirit inflates our egos, and when it inflates our egos, it brings about a situation where we, we will be competing with each other and trying to outdo each other and trying to pull down each other and things like that, yeah. which is a source of, of disunity among people. Yeah. I just want to, uh, to say something there, because Jesus is saying this in a very uh, important context. Jesus is referring to those people who believe through their word that they will be also sanctified. And I understand this because Jesus knew that the gospel will go through the Gentiles. And what a difference was in between Israel and the Gentiles. And that was a, a bombshell there, right in, in, in front of uh, them. And Jesus is proceeding, you know, in what he's saying, telling them, because when Jesus was praying, he was not just praying to the Father, he was praying in front of them. And that was, uh, if you like, uh, a lesson for them to pay attention of what he's saying and to take the lesson home. Now, Ken, in John 17, the first part of verse 21, Jesus mentioned what his desire for his believers was, that they should be one. Um, in what sense should believers be one? Well, there's a, a number of fronts on that one, Len. Uh, one is that firstly we should all believe basically the Bible, the Word of God. We should have similar desires of our hearts as uniting one another, helping one another. Uh, we should focus on the Word of God con consistently and uh, we should be just have a united front for the church. Yes, of course there are movements in the world where people say, let us be one. But that's simply a gathering, mm. and they, there are certain elements <coughs> missing in there. Maybe they are believers, but maybe they don't have the same purpose, maybe they don't have the same character, and maybe, well, I know this for sure, there are certain huge doctrinal differences. Brenton, in the latter part of verse 21, Jesus talks about how close he wants believers to be. Would you like to share that with us? Yes, certainly. Uh, the second part says and I um, I'm going to have to read the whole lot Len, unfortunately, to give the context that they all may be one as you Father are in me and I in you now we come to part B that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. There are two issues here. 
it's the unity is the one issue but the the second issue is just as important the unity is vitally important but if the unity is not demonstrated I believe that uh, Christ's prayer here is not fulfilled. We live in a world today, and I'm sure our listeners would agree on this, where, where loneliness and separatedness is a major issue in our society. The world, as we talk about in our Bible study time, the world as we know it is full of lonely people. If we as Christians are demonstrating this unity this love for one another that Christ prayed for, the world will be attracted to what we say. We've often heard it said that people are not so impressed with what we say, it's what we do Mm. that's important. And if we love one another in the way that Christ is praying for here, I believe the world will be attracted because it's full of lonely people and they want to have a feeling of connectedness. They want to have a feeling of togetherness. And if they see that in Christ's disciples here on earth in 2018, I believe they'll be attracted to him. Brenton, I think you just uh, hit the the nail on the head there because uh, we hear more these days about ecumenism, about unity, about uh, how to draw all people together, Christian together, is that in the, in the context of the love for one another or is more from your interests, you know, like own interests? Because that's the, that's the difference. If we show love to one another, then the unity will come. All right. Rowan, would you like to read verse 22? Yes, verse 22, it says, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one as we are one. Yes. Okay, now, what's this glory that Jesus has given to his believers? What do you have to say about that? Okay, I think that there are different ways of understanding uh, the glory that Jesus is talking about. And um, uh, within the present, uh, at that time that Jesus was talking, and the future, which is uh, also today and going forward into, into eternity. So the aspects of, of Jesus' service and, and character that were demonstrated during his, uh, his life here on earth included the, the, the peace that he brought to his people, uh, the, the forgiveness, um, the holiness, uh, the service to others, um, and also what was testified of him, not just by his disciples, but by also even those who heard him, that he was quite able to to explain uh, the, the word of God in a clear way to make it understandable to the people who were there. So, so he, he brought that clarity of thinking, and that was the glory that I believe that's the glory that he brought uh, to his people. But going forward, that also includes uh, the, the promise of eternal life. Uh, and Jesus understood eternal life or the kingdom as both present at that time and also future as, as where we are going. So that, that they, uh, the, the followers of Christ were considered to be in, in the in the kingdom by virtue of them believing in Christ. And that, I'm, to me, is part of the glory uh, that he revealed to his people and his followers. And we are partakers, participants in the glory that Jesus has given. Did you want to say something? Yes, Brandon? yes. Thank you, Len. Um, Rowan has, I believe, touched on a very important issue. However, as he was uh, speaking, I was also reflecting on another text that we find in our Bible study, 
it's in chapter 2 of John, verse 11. It says, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Mm. I believe the glory is not just the ability to be able to exegete, if I want to use that big word, the Bible and eternal life, important as that is. I believe the glory that he was conferring on them, and we find that in the book of Acts, was their ability to be able to perform the same signs and wonders and miracles that he himself performed when he was on Mm. earth. So he was in essence saying, Father, I'm about to come back to you. I am conferring on these men, weak and sinful as though they appear to be, I am conferring upon them the glory that you gave me. That is being... Uh, in put on them so that others will believe in me through them. That's a good thought. These uh, several interpretations of uh, to what that given glory is uh, uh, can be manifested in the present and also in the future. So in the present, in our present can be peace, forgiveness, holiness, service for others, nobility, beauty of character, uh, living by righteous principles, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, power to live and perform above the normal, and in the future is going to be eternal <coughs> life, uh, supernatural existence, partakers of the glory in with <coughs> immortality. Okay. Now, in verse 24, would you like to read verse 24, Legend? Yes. It in, talks about something else. Yes. In John 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 24, we read, Father... So Jesus is addressing to the Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So here Jesus is saying that he wishes for all other believers to see his glory he had before the creation of the world. Mm. So the glory that existed, that he had in heaven, which we probably only had a little, uh, a tiny little <coughs> glimpse yeah. of when we are conferred with immortality and we go with Jesus back to heaven, we will see the glory yeah. that he had before. Yes. Now, panel, here's a question. From what we've just read, did Jesus believe in evolution? No. 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 No? Why? Because he spoke about the creation, you know, before even the world was created, you know, he spoke about his glory, which means uh, there was a creation point in time. If there was no point in which creation took place, it would be pointless to make this statement. Mm-hmm. because evolution is supposedly an ongoing process in which we're becoming better and better and better which? at a higher and higher level. Therefore, the glory that he had before the world began, if there was such a thing as evolution, would, me- would be quite insignificant, would have no benefit or no relevance mm. to people living in 2018 whatsoever. Yeah, mm. yes. <laughs> and, and he also makes a very direct, literal uh, reference to creation. For example... Um, at one point he talks about the blood of Abel, you know. Uh, it says from the blood of Abel to the, uh, and he's talking about um, uh, the responsibility of the, of the Pharisees to the, uh, per- to the perishing of God's, uh, God's people. And says yes. the blood of all those people are new, beginning, beginning with Abel, which is in the account of the creation. And he also makes a very direct, specific um, reference to the time of Noah, which again is not within the thinking of evolution that Noah 
um, you know, actually existed. So he, he makes direct literal sure. references to Genesis. Yes, you're right, and quite a few good point bro. references that Jesus has made. You know, there has been and still exists today a movement that all Christians should unite under the leadership of the Pope. And that's been quite effective in certain ways. In so doing, it's been recommended that Christians of different religious groups should abandon their doctrinal positions for the sake of unity. Now, panel, is this, do you think, a good or a bad thing? No, this is definitely not a good thing, Len, because everything must always come back to the Word of God, which is the Bible. And uh, there's not much point in uniting together just for the sake of uniting. We have to uh, read what the Bible says. And if other uh, Christians around the world all followed the Bible, then we certainly could be united. But unfortunately, many don't. So we're ununited. I mean, if I could say that when Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Why Jesus wouldn't say that if you love me, do whatever it takes to live in peace and harmony with one another. Mm. Now, says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Mm. And that's very important not to uh, deviate from this, even though, uh, supposedly, by uh, compromising in certain aspects, mm. it may bring unity. If that unity, it's actually, it's a unity towards destruction. Len, can I make a, a very brief <laughs> comment on this? Um, as I'm considering uh, the ecumenical movement, the desire for unity in itself is not bad. I believe the desire to want to be united in Christ is good. However, I see a major schism uh, already in the desire of all uh, Christian churches and all churches to unify. We have a significant body of Christian believers uh, in our world today who believe that their salvation is found through confessing their sins to a person. Mm. We have a significant body of Christian believers in our world today who believe that they only need to ask Jesus Christ to forgive their sins. You immediately have a key major difference. Who do you seek forgiveness of your sins from? Therefore, who is Christ uh, in so far as being able to not only forgive your sins but also help you to walk with the Lord? These are some of the issues that I fear that the ecumenical movement is really going to struggle with. Yes, right. Comment? Yeah. I, I, to me, the question is, if, <coughs> if everybody is to do away with their doctrinal position, then whose doctrinal position are they going to take? Yeah. Yes. Well, exactly it, right. It, it means somebody's mm. doctrinal position is going to take precedence, and Over that's already a problem. positions. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Brenton, if you just uh, have a look at John 17, first part of verse 23, Jesus talks about what sort of unity that he wanted. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me as you loved them as you have loved me. Uh, what was the question again, Len? Just well, we've answered it. <laughs> we've you answered might, it right. Might have identified it. I asked what sort of unity it was yes. supposed to be, yeah. right. and you you said complete. Uh, yeah, perfect or complete yes. unity. Mm. And what we've just been talking about with regard to the ecumenical movement is not complete unity. It means abandoning major mm. uh, doctrinal issues for the sake of unity. To me, unity for the sake of unity is a waste of time. Yes. If, yes. if it's unity mm. for, a, uh, for mm. a noble purpose, it's a totally different thing. Yeah.
Well, Nick has been giving us the signal and we are <laughs> reaching the end. We've only got a short time. Uh, we're going to jump right down to the very last bit, although we haven't quite finished. Panel, do you have something, what I'd like to call a take-home message, that the listeners can dwell upon and think about? Anybody got something here? I think there's a, a number of things, Liam. <coughs> Firstly, God not only loves Christians, he loves everybody in the world, whether you believe or not, but he's calling out to everyone that now is the time to seek God while he may be found, and also that we definitely have to read God's word in the Bible and see exactly what God says and what Jesus says and not listen to what man says. Okay, good. Anybody else? Yes, Ledger. A unity of love and purpose as it exists between father and son. <coughs> it's a genuine unity uh, which is ought to provide a compelling witness to the, to, to the truth of the gospel in our days. Mm. I believe that the only unity that Christ was praying for and that I would urge our listeners uh, to our Bible study today to, to receive is knowing Jesus Christ as their personal saviour. I believe in knowing Jesus Christ as their personal saviour and following his leading both in the word and through the Holy Spirit is the only way. We as a panel and those who are listening, it is the only way in which we will be safe through Satan's deceptions in these last yeah. days. Did you have something to say, Ron? Sure, yes. Uh, and to me, the, the most important thing is for us to move from an intellectual knowledge of Christ to an experience with Christ yeah. through service. Experiential. Through service. Well, I've got something I want to say too. You better say your bit first, Nick. <laughs> I was just very quickly, I was going to say that uh, unity through the Word of God, because you ca we cannot be united with those people who have different uh, ideas. We can... Uh, sympathize we can uh, feel for them but you need to be united in the truth okay well since we're talking about unity and jesus prayer was about unity what i would like to suggest to you listeners unity only on a human level is not enough the unity that we as christians must have will involve us as human beings will involve god the father the son all together Without it, it's not complete. Well, we've come to the end of this week's study, and uh, I hope you found it interesting. We certainly have. Mm. But I'd just like to pray before we stop today. We'd like to thank you, Father in heaven, for the prayer of Jesus on behalf of himself, his disciples, and for us living in this day and age. Yes. We pray that we will be united in him and that our lives will testify of the lovely God whom we serve. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.